Amen. Well, it's great to be here this morning. And um, I, again, wanted to uh, just thank each and every one of you that were involved with ShareFest over the weekend. Uh, just what an incredible way to make an impact within our local communities. You know, something else I wanted to do for a moment, too, if we could. Um, what I would like to do is have each and every one of you that serve in any capacity stand up, whether it's Kids Kingdom, ushering, uh, worship team, whatever it may be. For those of you that serve here in the South Bay, let's get everybody to stand up for a moment. Why don't you guys take a look around? I just want to say, as your evangelist, this is, uh, just looking out, it makes me very proud to know that this isn't my church. It's not your church, but with the love that you've got for God, it's very evident that it's God's church. Amen? Got a uh, little uh, audio clip that I wanted to uh, go ahead and play for us this morning. So uh, what I did is I blacked out the screen to protect the innocent. But I do want you to listen very, very closely to the verbiage that uh, you'll be hearing here in a moment. Just real, pay real close attention to it. In that the last few weeks, we've uh, been talking about the words of Christ, the whole red-letter revolution aspect of things, revolution being something new that's against the grain, something that's different. And ultimately, the contrast that we have between the old temple model, again, which we talked about last week, being something that wasn't just a matter of Christianity or Judaism, but it went all the way back to the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians. And we'll, I'll tag that in a little bit more here in a moment. But today we're going to be looking at the revolution, really what that is and what Christ calls us to and how we can join that. Amen. So go ahead and uh, give us a listen. churches in North America. Some of you may be familiar with the speaker. We'll just leave it at that. But isn't that what God's all about? Ourselves? Making ourselves happy? Worshiping? I mean, literally, within context, she was talking about worshiping self makes God happy. We know what self does to self. You know, we talked about the you next to you last week what love really means and what the Jesus model is all about is being more concerned for others than oneself. And that's what ails the world today. So much of what goes on is about self. The wars that we have, nationalistic pride, what's that about? It's about self. So we uh, talked about revolutionary love last week, how loving God and each other will change the world. Do we believe that? It takes each of us to engage on that level, though, to make that happen. We talked about the, the temple model. We have sacred places, sacred tests, sacred men, and sincere followers, where it becomes more about the building and the men that are in the building and their interpretation of whatever it is, God or gods, 
and conveying to followers as to what the, that God or God's intentions are for our lives. And it becomes a lot of what we've got going on in America today, consumerism. You know, what did this all entail? You went someplace and they told you, well, hey, if you did this out of the other, this is what it's going to cost you to get right. If you've committed sins, this is what it's going to cost you to get right. If you want to have a child, this is what it's going to cost you to have a child. You want to have bountiful crops, this is what it's going to cost you for bountiful crops. The Jesus model was revolutionary. He ushered in a new covenant, a new command, a new ethic, a new movement, new integrity, being more concerned with others than yourself. John 13, 34, 35, Jesus lays this on out. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must want love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, you think about this, a new command. Is this pretty significant? You know, we established with Judaism, started with 10. By the time Jesus rolled in onto the scene, there were over 600 laws that had been put into effect that each and every Jew was supposed to abide by. And they had a legal system within the religion to make sure that everybody knew what it was they were supposed to abide to. With Jesus, dumb, dumb it down. But he definitely simplifies it. And the reason for this, what was the reason for this new command here? If we love one another, what's going to take place? It says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If? Is it going to take place without the if? Not at all. We need to be engaged with each other. We need to love one another. We need to put each other first. I appreciate this congregation and what we do for those within our church and outside of our church that are hurting. You know, I really wanted to commend Elaine Johnson. We were out of town this week, and one of our neighbors had some health issues. She drove all the way down from PV after putting together a meal to deliver to this woman in our complex. That's the kind of love that makes a difference. That's the kind of love that enables people to see who Jesus Christ really is. You know, last week we answered the question, what does love require? You know, hopefully you took the time to really think that through personally a little bit. We know that when that question was asked, God answered with his son. We know when that question was asked of Jesus Christ, Jesus answered with his life. Today, I'm going to ask you to join the revolution. What does love require of me? We're going to join the revolution today. This is what it requires, that I'm living as a true disciple of Jesus Christ that has influence in the life of others because they see Christ in me. We know that after Jesus died and was buried, he resurrected from the dead. And the, the parting words that he left his disciples comes out of Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And it was this call, this directive to go make disciples of all nations. And by doing so, understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives and that by engaging Christ on this level, each and every one of you can make a difference. What does discipleship require of me? I think we established that last week with what does love require? 
You know, love with Jesus, love of God is a lot more than just a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's about really engaging God on a very intimate level, taking God at his word. Just as if sitting here, you guys know who your best friends are, right? There's certain individuals I know for a fact, it doesn't matter what's going on, they will have my back. You know, I've got the wife of one of those individuals here with us this morning, and that's Lisa Herman. We, we've known the Hermans for 22 years. Uh, they came up and endured us as young leaders in the East region. But you know, one of the things I love about Kevin is Kevin is one of these guys that it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, how much he loves you, he's going to be straight with you. He's going to tell you what you need to hear, whether you need to hear it or not. And I, I'm so appreciative of that. Kevin is one of the reasons I'm here in South Bay. Kevin was one of three people that I called for input about moving into this situation. So if you've got a problem with me, take it up with Kevin. <laughs> if you don't, please encourage Lisa after the service. But you know, and this is what discipleship is too. It's this one another and being involved with each other, being able to share the victory of the, the events that we had this past weekend. So what does discipleship require of me? It requires that we remain in God's love. Jesus' love for me requires I listen to and follow his direction. And I'm going to find out from Brian if there's a way of uh, putting the notes online with the, uh, the, the sermon and the podcast. I will send it out to everybody that's a part of our church. If not, you want to drop me an email address before you leave today, I'll make sure you get it as well. But this is what Jesus' love for me requires. And it's really all about following his direction. But we follow that direction not because it's do's and don'ts, but because... God has already demonstrated how much he loves us through his son, Jesus. We need to show our love for Christ. John 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commands. You know, you think about the situation when it comes to marriage or our children, sometimes we can slip in and out of a conditional, unconditional mode. But if we really love our spouses unconditionally, don't we want to please them? Don't we want to go after what makes them feel good? Sometimes even maybe denying self and doing things that we maybe don't necessarily, wouldn't be on our top ten list of things to do, but because we love that individual, we're willing to do anything. Maybe it's a matter of maybe moving it back a little bit. Some of you that are currently in dating situations or thinking about that, those court, that courtship, and that's a word that probably most of the youth has absolutely no clue what I'm talking about, but when we courted those that we were interested in, what would you do? I mean, was it wasn't a matter of doing whatever it took to get the attention of that person to really win them over. So really showing our love for Christ, perfecting God's love. 1 John 2, verse 3, it says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands. And this is where Jesus, he doesn't mince words. It is clear. It is perfectly clear. And this is where the temple mentality, the temple model slides in. Did Jesus really slay that? Did Jesus really mean that? You know, and all of our seminarians that are out there today and that are understanding the Greek and the Hebrew, well, the Greek, da 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 if you use this verb to modify that, doesn't really mean that. I, you know, it's one of the things I love about the Bible, it was simple enough for a, a guy like me to understand. And knowing that December 10th of 1990, when I made Jesus Lord of my life, my life changed. Going from being agnostic to really friendless, not having a clue about what it meant to be a dad, not having a clue about what it meant to be a husband, not having a clue as to what it would mean 
to even invite other people into my life, having an actual purpose in life. That's what transpired 24 years ago. But it was because I loved God enough to adhere to what Jesus established. Let's continue here. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's the other thing I love about Christ. You go through the Gospels, example after example after example of what it meant to be someone that loved God, what it meant to be a godly leader. And they had, Jesus established for his guys, when you had James and John arguing about who was going to get the seat at the right and the left of Christ, knowing that leadership was about authority, authority was about power, power was about status. Jesus confirmed for them that you guys are going after this the wrong way. Your perspective on this is wrong. Whoever you is the least will be the greatest. And Jesus demonstrated that. I mean, I, I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like for them right before Jesus went to the cross for him to take off his outer garment, wrap a towel around himself, and get down on his knees and wash their feet. I can't imagine sitting there Son of God, making eye contact with him, taking on the role of a slave. It's just amazing. But this is what we have in the Gospels. God was very clear about giving us something that we could all aspire to, something that we could all imitate as we look to the life of Christ. John 15, verse 7. There's going to be a lot of scripture today because I want God to do the talk and not me. Very little commentary today. John 15, verse 7. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Being joyful, John 15, verse 11. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Cleansing the heart and the soul. You know, last week we talked about what sin can do. You know, we step into immorality. It's about self. The temple model is going into a church somewhere, saying a prayer, asking a priest for forgiveness, but having absolutely no regard for the fact that you pressured someone into something that they may regret for the rest of their lives. Cleansing of the heart and the soul. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Loving one another. By this we will know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Again, if we adhere to what Christ has established, are we going to be hurting each other? Are we going to be creating regrets in one another? Not at all. And that's what, God, what grieves God is when he sees the hurt that we perpetrate on other people knowing that if we would just listen to what his son was willing to give up and do for us, that would make all the difference that we need in this world. Being a true disciple, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What does discipleship, true discipleship, require of me? Demonstrating the ultimate love. John 15, verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. I mean, you go through the book of John, it's one after another, after another, after another, talking about love and what that love produces and what kind of lives we'll lead and live if we're willing to take God at his word. What does discipleship require of me? Love and obedience. Because I love God and those around me. That's the mindset that we need to have as disciples. And then ultimately, obeying the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make. You need to know what it is first. Go make what? You fill in that blank. Go make a fisherman. What's it going to take? Show them a picture of a rod and a reel and give them some direction. Is that going to be enough to get it done? You want somebody to become a basketball player. Is it a matter of giving them a book on basketball? Will that get it done? Again, fill in the blank. Whatever your profession is, would you be there if it hadn't been for somebody else? I mean, there may be somebody out there that's an entrepreneur and, you know, you've got some, some skill set and you plug something in on your own, but I guarantee you there was somebody that was in your life prior that helped shape who you are today. How much more so when it comes to having a right relationship with God? See, if you've never made a disciple before, it's because you need someone to show you how. The Greek for uh, disciple here is mathetis. It's a learner, disciple, pupil. Basically, uh, the mental effort needed to think something through. Again, a learner, a disciple, a follower of Christ is someone who learns what Jesus was about, what Jesus talked about, what Jesus did, about Jesus' lifestyle, and what that requires of us individually. Looking to what Jesus did and passing it on. You know, we think about this. Any uh, art students out there? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Well, we got Mark. We know, we know Mark did some of that here this, uh, this week. Da Vinci. Michelangelo. We, you know, we're not talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles here. But it was amazing. These guys had people that came from all over Europe to try and duplicate what they did. Ate with them, slept with them sat on their backs on the scaffolding in the Sistine Chapel watching them work because they were the masters. We've got the master in Jesus Christ. You know, within Chinese culture, any tradition or skill was something that was passed down from the master to their disciple, whether it was martial arts, scholarly arts, painting, cooking, even the art of being a barber or an executioner. We have any journeymen in the group. Got a few. You know, this reminds me of a situation years ago where uh, a little, little bit of stupidity on my part, but, you know, when it comes to being an electrician, you're going to be able to do that by reading a book? Is it something you want to try doing by just reading a book? 
You know, uh, my, my brother, who uh, used to be my next-door neighbor in the apartment complex I lived in a number of years ago, this was a long time ago, uh, was installing a ceiling fan. And uh, let's just say my brother uh, could be a little bit of a jerk from time to time. And then he had this thing set up, and he was starting to do some work on it. And uh, he goes, hey, Steve, you know what? You're taller than I am. Can you come over here? I'm having a hard time getting these wires put together. So I step up onto his waterbed, and once that's settled out enough, <laughs> I'm <laughs> trying to reach up without getting seasick. The minute I touched the frame of this fan, it blew me off the bed. And he just sat there laughing. Who was that? He just sat there laughing and laughing and laughing. He thought it was the coolest thing. Obviously, he didn't have it grounded, but I appreciate the fact that he let me know before I touched it. See, we all need mentors in whatever aspect of our lives it is, but how much more so when it comes to our eternity? You know, if you have a journeyman in your life, plumber, electrician, whatever it may be, and you don't follow their teaching or direction, think through the things that can happen. People die. People lose fingers. I mean, if you're lucky, that's it. But there's that need. And, you know, it's amazing how when we're dealing with eternity, we filter and ignore or even try to change the direction that our Savior Jesus Christ has given us. You know, again, Jesus stated in John 13, 34, 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. You know, it's amazing. The religious society today, by and large, they look at this passage, and the thing that they, some convey is that, well, you know, this really doesn't apply to us because Jesus was talking to his apostles, and you know, disciples are really more of a kind of a sold-out, radical version of what a Christian really is. So, you know, it's like that Francis Chan video we all saw. You know, there's the narrow path, there's a wide path. There's the narrow gate, and there's the wide path. And then, you know, we try and figure out how we can get through in another way with what he talked about as far as the middle road. Jesus is giving direction to his guys that was really prophetic about what Christianity needs to look like today. You know, we see this, this is taking place. We're going to take a look at the uh, book of Acts here in a minute. And where we see this particular sentence in the chapter of Acts 11. It says the disciples were called Christians at Antioch. You know, this takes place after the Jews had become Christians in Jerusalem. They were scattered back to their homelands after uh, the mass persecution started to take place. And the church in Jerusalem heard that there were actually Gentiles that were taking on the Christian faith, the way, discipleship, in Antioch, which was a Greek city that's now in modern-day Turkey. So uh, let's take a look here in verse 20 of Acts 11. Whoops, keep it there. Acts 11, verse 20. It says, But there were some of them, Cypriot and Cyrenian men who came to Antioch and began to speak to the Hellenists, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem. They sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch, and when he arrived and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of the faith, Obviously, didn't have a problem with the fact that there were these pagans that were now his brothers in Christ. 
Verse 25, it says, Then he went to Tarsus, which was a place to search for Saul, who we later know as Paul, who wrote the epistles that we have in the New Testament. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were called Christians at Antioch. Disciples were called Christians. This is the Jesus model. Those who lived like, taught like, served like, loved like Jesus Christ. Those were the individuals that were the disciples of Jesus. Most of us here that are part of a fellowship know that the term disciple appears over 270 times in the New Testament. Now, that may not sound like a whole lot, but when we contrast it with the passage we just looked at, and the next two that we're going to look at, knowing that Christian and disciple are one and the same, I think this has some bearing for each and every one of us in our lives today. Acts 26, verse 28, I love this. Paul's having this dissertation with King Agrippa. And the king says to Paul here in verse 28, Do you think that in such a short time you could persuade me to be a Christian? Mind you, this is the second time out of three this shows up in the Bible. Paul replied, short term or long, I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. And then the only other place that it appears is in 1 Peter 4, verse 16. And it falls in the realm of something that's not always the most pleasant topic for disciples, but it's a reality. It says in verse 16, However, you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Really understanding that a disciple is not something that falls within the hierarchy of the temple model. It's not an apostle. It's not a pope. It's not a cardinal. It's not a priest. And this is one of the problems with the religious society throughout history is there's this lack of humility to be a learner. And I think you've got to ask yourself that today. Are you a learner? Are you teachable? Or do you think that you've got it all nailed down, you've arrived, you, you, anything there is to embrace, there's no reason for you to put anything more into this head because you've got it all figured out. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Religious leaders of his day didn't want to change. Jesus called for change. He wanted them to step away from the temple model. He wanted them to step into something that was real, which gets down to that love for one another. There's no pretense there. The disciple is a learner, a follower, a spreader of the good news of Jesus. And each and every one of us are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ and only called Christians if it's synonymous with being a disciple. Christian is an empty term without discipleship. That's why there's so much confusion in this world today. That's why I was agnostic from the age of 13 to 32. I didn't see anybody doing it. I didn't see anybody modeling it. What I saw was people taking advantage of other people and using the authority of God to do just that. $60 million for your own personal jet so you can spread the good news. Seriously? Seriously? How many homeless people would that take care of? How many mouths would that feed? How many diseases would that cure? And you're claiming you're a Christian? Not only that, a Christian leader? That's what was a turnoff to me. What, what excited me was purpose. What, what excited me are projects like what took place this weekend. Taking your time, 
people that work full-time jobs, moms that are full-time moms, stepping out of what's comfortable for them and the time they've committed to all these other things and making time for somebody else. That's being a disciple. That's being like Jesus Christ. Christian isn't a different level of commitment any more than there is a middle road. What does discipleship require of me? You know, you already saw some of this. My, my computer exploded last night with 160 pictures from Calvin. <laughs> but this is awesome, being able to see what was going on. They didn't have to do this. I mean, those white walls, you know, whatever. The kids had a place to meet. No, they wanted to make it something special. What does discipleship require of me? I guarantee you, there are people who are going to be talking about the time that was spent, the conversations that were had, and the difference this makes for those kids. So there's no pretense. It's black and white. I'm living as a true disciple of Jesus Christ so others can see Christ in me. See, I'm not worried about changing the terminology this morning among whether, you know, it's Christian or disciple. The Bible's real clear. There's no need to because the, biblically they're one and the same. But what we should all be concerned with, no matter what the nomenclature is, can others see Christ in me? I put you before you this morning. If they don't see Christ in you, then he isn't. Matthew 5, verse 14. says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If you're a Christian, guys, people know you're Christian. You telling them, you talking about it, that doesn't mean anything. What, mat what really matters is the actions. Do they see Christ in you? And what are the things that can get in the way of us being a disciple of Jesus Christ, a true Christian? See, as a Christian, we shouldn't need to be prodded to come out of the closet. If you're a Christian, you're out. But again, what are the things that can get in the way of us being a disciple of Jesus Christ, a true Christian? Fear, lack of faith. And this is what I love about the Bible. We see it all, the good, bad, and the ugly. I love Gideon when he's called upon by God. Don't you know who I am, man? I'm the weakest guy, the weakest clan, the weakest da-da-da-da-da. And how did the angel of the Lord, what did the angel of the Lord call him by? Mighty warrior. He may not have been on the front side, but he definitively was after once he demonstrated his love for God. We see this with all of them. Moses. You know, it's interesting. In Acts 7, as Stephen's recounting all the greats that had come before him, the Holy Spirit says that Moses was articulate, that he was a great speaker. Yeah, what was Moses' stance before God? You know, I got a speech impediment, man. I can't do this. God's like, dude, whatever, we'll use your brother. Did that mean he was a weak speaker? No. What it meant was there was some fear there. There were some faith issues there. And we see this time and time and time again. So what is it for you this morning? Why are you fearful? Why are you faithless? Didn't Jesus Christ already die for us? See, when Jesus was asked that question, what does love require of me? He bled. He died. So we could have life. Sometimes it's our comfort zone. Sometimes it's laziness. Sometimes it's complacency. 
All these things can get in there. We allow life to get in the way. So where do I start as a disciple? What did Jesus say that needs to be done? Go and what? Go and make. When you make something, is there a little bit of effort, tension, stuff that's involved? You know, I think one of, one of my favorites is the, seeing Paul talk about us being these, these jars of clay or these vessels. Any of you ever work with a potter's wheel? Okay, how many of you have seen ghosts? You, you know how it works, man. I mean, you, you sit there and you pedal that thing, or if you got a few more bucks, you got the electric version, you, you step on it and the thing spins, and you, you got to work it. It just doesn't, you know, spin into some incredible piece of art. You got to work it. You got to mold it. You got to shape it. Isn't that the case with anything? Anything of any value. Doesn't it take work? Doesn't it take effort to get it there? It's got to be molded. It's got to be shaped. It's got to be made. So where do I start as a disciple? I needed someone to start working on me. And I appreciate, again, you hear me talk about Bruce Teague from time to time. It started for me in my garage when I was working out with him. Jackie had made us breakfast. Some of you have heard it before. I'm sorry, you're going to hear it again. <laughs> Jackie came out and invited us in for breakfast. So saying, thank you, dear. I super appreciate you spending the time to put together a meal for us. You're so sweet. I barked at her. I'll be in when we're done. So, you know, Bruce kind of took me and slammed me down on the potter's wheel. Jackie went back in the house. Bruce looks at me. I know this took a lot for him because he wasn't a big guy. <laughs> He'll say, you know, you, you know, you watch him work out and all. It's like, come on, dude, you can do, you can do better than that. I'd push him a little bit, so I guess I was mentoring him there. But, you know, like uh, Paul says to Timothy, physical training is of some good, but, you know, when it comes to spiritual training, it's good for all things. He even wrote that in my Bible. I'm sure there's a reason for that. <laughs> Just now remembering that. But he looked at me and he said to me, do you love your wife? And I had the audacity to tell him yes. And I had the audacity to get the slow burn going. I, I literally envisioned myself having him with my hands around his throat. Not an exaggeration. Actually, it was one hand with him pinned against my wall. That's how agitated I was that this guy had the audacity to call me out. You know, sometimes that's what we need. And that's what it took. That's what started it for me. That's what got me willing to sit down and study the Bible. Because I remember thinking to myself, you know what, dude, fine. You're going to call me out. Give me, give me a few hours here. I'll find something on you. A few hours went by, went a whole lot, a few days, a few weeks. And then being invited over to their home on multiple occasions and seeing the interaction he had with his wife and seeing the interaction that he had with his daughter and realizing, you know what? This guy's not two-faced. He's not like what I experienced in religion. wasn't what I experienced in the workplace. I mean, how many of you get sick of, you know, just this whole thing, do as I say, not as I do? That drives me stinking nuts. But his life stood the test. And I was willing for him to start working me more as we got into the Bible and we started going through the scriptures. And it made such an incredible difference in my life because somebody was willing to take the time to engage me on that level. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11, it reads, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, 
as some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. What's my role as an evangelist? What's Brian's role as a teacher? What's our role as disciples? But primarily, my role as an evangelist is right here, to do what? To prepare you, God's people, for works of service. So what? The body of Christ may be built up till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Is that what we heard on the front side this morning? Love yourself! Worship yourself! God loves when you worship yourself. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of teaching and cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead of speaking the truth in love, we will all grow th- in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. What? As each Part does its work. See, if you're a disciple, you have a role. Because of our love for God, you're willing to engage that role. You're willing to work. You're willing to make that time to do stuff for God, to do stuff for Christ, to do stuff for the lost, to do stuff for your neighbor. What does discipleship require of me? Acts 2.42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, Everyone was filled with all the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. This is what took place after Peter preached this incredible sermon, which we're going to look at a couple aspects of that here in a minute. But according to Jesus, one of the other aspects of becoming a disciple requires what? Go and make disciples of all nations doing what? Baptism is a pivotal point in our lives becoming disciples why baptism what's the goal of discipleship isn't it to be more like jesus he was holy and sinless yet we were called to be like him but are we sinners he was holy and sinless, yet we were called to be like him. Fortunately for us, baptism is described as an act of faith, which puts us in contact with the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ so that we can be forgiven. Amen. Acts 2, verse 36, it says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Why did he go to that cross? Because of our sin both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For what? For what? For what? For the forgiveness of your sins. And once you're that pure, clean vessel, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See the same thing in Acts 8, through every single conversion in the New Testament. It's not about a little magical prayer. It's not about a little invite. It's very clear and succinct. 
from a historical standpoint, you will see nothing, no other representation of what it takes to get right with Christ other than being baptized into his name. This precludes infant baptism because guess what? Are infants capable of believing and repenting? No. Can a baby have faith? No. What is baptism about? Faith. It's also an act of submission, which involves a burial in water. And when we enter that water, we rise to walk in the newness of life through the power of God. Romans 6, 3 through 4, real clear. Participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In so doing, we're raised to a new life. Colossians 2.12 talks about the same thing. This precludes sprinkling or pouring as a mode of baptism. For neither of these involve a burial nor an immersion, which is the Greek word baptizo. When done according to the word of God, baptism then becomes an act of faith on our part, which results in the working of God in our lives. Our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. Acts 22, 16. Paul is told to do what? Get up, get baptized, so your sins will be washed away. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. It talks about the church, a wife, being the representation of what Jesus came to the church for, which was to wash her of her sins and present her pure and blameless. 1 Peter 3, 21. Talking about the ark and the waters that delivered Noah and his family. And the significance there being those same, that same water symbolizes that delivery that took place there of a physical life to what delivers us for eternity to a life that is right before God. We're regenerated. We're renewed. Titus 3, verse 5. John 3, verse 5. It's a rebirth involving both water and spirit. So what does discipleship require of me? Okay, we've established a few things. We need to walk like Jesus. We need to be shaped, molded. We need to have a learner's heart. We need to be baptized. But this is what I love about God. God is so all-inclusive. It wasn't a matter, okay, you know what? You're wet behind the ears now. Go figure it out. Verse 20, baptism is only beginning. Teaching and obedience must follow. This brings us back to the very definition of discipleship. Jesus clearly states, we are taught. We need to be learners. We are observers. We are to observe. We're to be adherents or doers. In this way, we embark on life that's devoted to learning and doing all that Jesus Christ has commanded us to do. This is what discipleship requires. This is what love for God requires. Love requires discipleship. If you really love God... There's no getting around it. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you love God, you're a disciple. You're a Christian. You're saved. Discipleship requires being with Jesus, being like Jesus, following him. It also means that we make it a goal to disciple others. See, the Great Commission isn't just another good idea. Though it is a pretty good idea when you think about it. But it's the church's marching orders. And as far as I know, there has never, ever, ever been another plan communicated by Jesus Christ to get the word out there to a known world, to give people the opportunity to have their sins forgiven. We know God wants everyone saved. So the conclusion this morning is, only those that are scripturally baptized and demonstrating the marks of discipleship based on their actions, being a light, all the other things we establish, despite the cost, can truly be called disciples of Jesus. Number two, 
Only true disciples can realistically look forward to the rewards of discipleship and derive hope in the promise of Jesus. And that's what he closes with, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. If you are a disciple, you've got to ask yourself this morning, are you involved in the revolution to restore true Christianity? I'll let you figure out the answer to that one and what you're going to do about it. And then finally, if you're not defined by this message scripturally, in light of what we've looked at today, it's time for you to join the revolution. Sign on and make a difference in this world. Amen? Let's go ahead to the Father in prayer. Father, I want to thank you so much for the example that you've given us through Christ. Uh, that there isn't any great mystery. We don't need to rely on a sacred temple or a sacred man or a sacred text. Someone explain to us what it means to be your son or daughter. Thank you for those that have gone before us and have established that for us through the scriptures. Thank you so much for the, the gift of salvation that you give us by having faith in Jesus Christ. Father, in a special way this morning, I do want to lift up to you uh, Lori Blessing, who just recently suffered a loss. Please be with her, be with her family, and enable us as a family to be a support to her during this time. For uh, any of those that have health concerns, Father, please be with them. Again, help us as family to really rely on you and be there as a great encouragement to one another as Jesus has called us to. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I guess I get the pleasure of doing some announcements.